0: well hey everybody i'm adam shell the pastor at melbourne heights and welcome to our sermon podcast right now in our sermon series at melbourne heights we are talking about what the new normal is going to be like for our church and specifically we're thinking about what god wants for us and from us as we enter into our new normal so in our last episode we got this series started by talking about the fact that our top priority as a church as we enter into our new normal has to be worshiping god this week, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into what our next priority needs to be. So let's get right into this episode sermon. Chris Hogan, who is a best-selling author and a retirement expert, tells a story in his book, Retire Inspired, about the first time that he truly appreciated his mother's cooking. As Chris tells it, when I went off to graduate school in Pennsylvania, I knew that one of the things that I would miss the most about home was my mama's chili. Now, Mama Hogan was an incredible cook, and her chili was amazing. So when it turned to fall and the weather started to be a little bit cooler, I decided that I needed to make a pot of chili when I was on my way back to my apartment after class one day. So on the way back to my apartment, I stopped by a grocery store. I grabbed a basket and I filled it with all the ingredients that I thought I needed to make my mama's chili. When I got back to my apartment, I got to work cooking right away. I was boiling. I was stirring. I thought I was doing everything just right. Man, I could not wait to have a bowl of that chili for dinner. So a couple of hours later, I go back and I've Fix myself a big bowl of chili, and I get that first spoonful, and "Mm, I've been waiting for this all day long, so I get that steaming spoonful, I close my eyes to enjoy it, I taste it, and then I go running over to the sink to spit it out, because it didn't taste like chili at all. I may have just invented a great recipe for brown glue, but it sure wasn't my mama's chili. And in that moment, Chris Hogan truly appreciated his mother's cooking for the very first time. But that's not all that happened in this moment. Because in that moment, after Chris spit his brown glue tasting, sorry excuse for his mama's chili out of his mouth, he had what I like to call a so-now-what moment. A so-now-what moment is when you find yourself ill-prepared for the circumstances that you're in. A so-now-what moment is when you find yourself ill-prepared for the circumstances that you're in. And we have all had these so-now-what moments. You've had a so-now-what moment when you have gotten back into your car after you finished up grocery shopping, and no matter how many times you tried, the engine just wouldn't turn over. So as you stood there in a hot parking lot looking under the hood of your car with the ice cream melting in your trunk, you wondered, so now what? You've had a so now what moment when you have gone on a dream vacation and you arrived in your final destination only to find out that your luggage didn't make the trip with you. And as you've thought about the possibility of having to spend a week in paradise without any extra clothes or a single drop of sunscreen, you've wondered so now what? You've had a so now what moment when you brought your newborn baby home from the hospital for the very first time and you couldn't figure out how to get him or her to quit crying that night. You've had a so now what moment when your kids started calculus class in high school and you could no longer help them do their homework. You've had a so now what moment when your family was on the way over for Thanksgiving dinner and you just burnt the turkey. And over the course of the last year, during this pandemic we have all had a lot of so now what moments we've wondered so now what when our economy had to close down we've wondered so now what when we had to start working virtually at home we wondered so now what when our kids started doing class online and all of us have wondered so now what when we had to start figuring out how to do church when we couldn't meet together in person so We have all had these so-now-what moments, and that includes me. I remember one of these so-now-what moments happening for me during my freshman year at Georgetown College. Now, during my freshman year at Georgetown, I attended church uh, at at a church that was on the edge of campus. And I went there with several of my friends who were also studying religion. And all of us dreamed about being ministers when we grew up, after we finished up college. So whenever we went to church, we always tried to dress the part. And that meant that every Sunday, I would get out of bed, and I'd go over to my closet, and I'd pick out a nice tie, and then I'd find a shirt that matched, and then I would grab one of the two suits that I owned when I was in college. And on this particular Sunday, after I put my sports coat on, and I went to button the top button, the top button popped right off. And in that moment, I did what I think just about any 18-year-old guy would have done. I walked over to where the button fell, I reached down, I picked it up, and I pushed it back on my jacket. Like, somehow the threads that had just broken would miraculously wrap themselves back around the button, and it would hold firmly in place. Needless to say, that didn't work. So my next idea was I walked over to my desk, and I grabbed a piece of scotch tape. I wrapped that tape around my fingers, I stuck it on the back of my button, and then I pressed it as hard as I possibly could into my jacket. (sighs) I was so naive. That solution didn't even last until I made it to my dorm room door. So at that point, I was running so late that I decided to leave the sports coat behind, and I headed off to church anyway. Since I was running a little bit late, I didn't have the chance to talk with my friends about why I didn't have on a jacket that day until we were headed back to the dorm room after the service had finished. And as we were walking back over to the dorm room after that service, one of my friend's responses when he found out that I had lost a button pretty well summed up the way the entire group felt. He looked over at me and he said, it's too bad, Adam, it was a nice jacket. That's right, it was a nice jacket. It was a nice jacket. It's not like the sleeve had been torn off of it or I threw it into the washing machine and it shrunk two sizes. My jacket had lost a button, but none of us knew what to do in that moment. So as I made it back into my dorm room and I held that button in one hand and my jacket in another, all I could think was, so now what? And I think this is the way that the disciples, Jesus' closest followers, must have felt in the aftermath of Easter. In the aftermath of Easter, after the women have gone, had gone down to Jesus' tomb, and they found that the, the stone has been rolled away and that the tomb is empty, and they learn that Jesus is not dead and buried, but he is risen, he is risen indeed, we know from the Gospel of John, or John's biography of Jesus, that his closest followers, his disciples, were all hiding away behind locked doors. And as you imagine that scene in your mind, you can almost picture the disciples looking around the room at each other, silently asking through their eyes, so now what? And then something incredible happens. Something amazing happens. Something miraculous happens. Jesus appears to his disciples. And he shows them that he is alive. He shows them that he is still at work in this world. He reminds them of what their purpose as his followers is. And he encourages them to fulfill that purpose, even as they're still trying to wrap their minds around everything that they've just experienced. And after that encounter, you would think that 40 days later, when Jesus ascends into the heavens that the disciples would know what they're supposed to do next. Just like you would think that a 22-year-old would be capable of cooking a pot of chili and an 18-year-old could deal with a button that fell off of a jacket. We'd be wrong on all counts. And if you'll look with me at the book of Acts today, I'll show you what happens to the disciples in the aftermath of the ascension. Now, the book of Acts, it tells us the story of how our faith in Jesus grew and spread in the years and decades after Jesus' crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to see how the disciples respond. So let's listen to what Luke, the author of the book of Acts, tells us the disciples do. Luke one, or Acts 1, verse 1, here's what Luke writes. Theophilus, the first scroll that I wrote concerned everything Jesus did and taught from the beginning, right up to the day when he was taken up into heaven. Before he was taken up, working in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus instructed the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed them that he was alive with many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. Excuse me speaking to them about God's kingdom. While they were eating together, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. He said, This is what you heard from me. John baptized with water, but in only a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As a result, those who had gathered together asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Jesus replied, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After Jesus said these things, as they were watching, he was lifted up on a cloud and taken out of their sight. While he was going away, and as they were staring toward heaven... Suddenly, two men in white robes stood next to them. They said, Galileans, why are you standing here looking toward heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. So, in this story that we've just read through, the disciples are with Jesus. The disciples are sharing a meal with Jesus. They're talking with Jesus. They're asking him questions. They're listening to his answers. They're letting him teach them. And you get the feeling as you're reading this passage of Scripture that the disciples feel like this is going to go on forever. I think that's why they ask if Jesus is now going to restore the kingdom to Israel now. Because they think that since he has been resurrected, he's now going to claim his spot on the throne of Israel to reign forever. And as I read this passage, I kind of get the feeling that the disciples are behaving the same way that a lot of kids behave with their parents. Now, most kids are going to share at least one meal over the course of the day with one or both of their parents. And as they're sharing this meal, they'll sit down at the table and they'll talk. They'll ask questions, they'll listen to their parents, but they won't really be paying attention to what their parents are saying. And that's because they think that these family dinners are going to go on forever. They think that their parents will always be there for them. But by the time the story that we just read in the book of Acts finishes, Jesus isn't there any longer. Jesus has ascended into the heavens. He has returned to sit at the right hand of God. And all the disciples can do is stand there and watch, staring up at the heavens, wondering, so now what? It's the exact same way that Chris Hogan felt as he was staring down at that pot of chili that he had tried to make. He had no idea what to do next. So as he goes on to explain, I had to pick up the phone and call my mama. And as soon as she answered, I told her, Mama, I tried to make your chili. I could already hear the pity in her voice. What happened, baby? Mama... My chili is broke. It's absolutely disgusting. I don't even think the dog would eat it. My mama thought that was absolutely hilarious. She must have laughed about my broke chili for five whole minutes. But after she was finally able to compose herself, she told me to go and grab a pen and a piece of paper, and then she walked me step by step through her recipe. And as it turned out, I had forgotten some pretty important ingredients when I was trying to make that chili, including the chili powder. So the next time that I decided to make chili and I went to the store to pick up the ingredients, I had Mama's recipe with me. I knew exactly what I needed to get. And then when I went back to my apartment to start cooking, I knew exactly what I needed to do. I knew when to add in each one of the ingredients. I knew how long to boil and how long to simmer and how long to leave the whole thing covered before it was ready to serve. So my next attempt at making chili, well, it wasn't perfect. It still wasn't quite like Mama Hogan's chili, but it tasted a whole lot better. And it's because I had a recipe. I had a plan. So Mama Hogan came to her son's rescue when he faced one of these so-now-what moments in his life. She walked him step-by-step through the process of making her chili so that the next time that he wanted to make a pot for himself, he knew exactly what he needed to do. And something similar happened to me on that day that that button popped off of my sports coat when I was a freshman in college. Now, I didn't pick up the phone and call my mom to ask her for any sewing tips, but I did remember what my mom used to do whenever she got her sewing kit out of her craft closet. And I tried to think about everything that she did as she sewed whatever it was that she was working on. And of course, it always started with a needle, so I needed to go out and get a needle. And then there's the thread, so I knew I needed to go and buy some thread. And then she would take that needle and thread and she would run it through the fabric, back and forth, over and over again, until the stitch or the seam was strong enough to hold. So that's what I did. I went out to Walmart, and I got a pack of needles, and I got some thread, and I was even smart enough to make sure that the thread matched my suit jacket, because I wasn't completely naive. And then I started sewing that button back onto my jacket. And you know what? It wasn't pretty, but that button held. And it held because I remembered everything that my mom had shown me. So I didn't have to face my so-now-what moment on my own either. And you know what else? Jesus' followers don't have to figure out our so-now-what moments on our own either. Jesus' followers don't have to figure out our so-now-what moments on our own either. Like in the story that we just read about the disciples, and Jesus' ascension. Now, yes, as that story ends, Jesus ascends into the heavens, but Jesus doesn't return to the heavens until after he has spent three years with his disciples. So for three years, the disciples had sat at Jesus' feet, and they had listened to him as he taught them about what the kingdom of God is really like. They had spent three years watching with their own eyes as he performed miracles that gave them glimpses of what this world is supposed to be like. The disciples were there and saw when he was crucified. And they were there and saw when he was resurrected. So even though Jesus ascended into the heavens at the start of the story, the disciples still knew what they were supposed to do next because Jesus told them, So even as they stood there staring at the sky, wondering, so now what? They already knew the answer to that question. Jesus had told them what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And that's what the disciples did. Eventually, they stopped staring up at the heavens, and they went. They went. They went as far west as Rome. They went as far east as India. They went as far north as modern-day Georgia, the country, not the state, and as far south as Ethiopia. And as they went, they made disciples. A little bit later on in the book of Acts, we're told what happens after one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, preaches his very first sermon. After Peter preaches his first sermon, 3,000 people are added to the church that day, and they get baptized. But the disciples don't stop with baptizing. As they travel the world, and they go into different cities and places, everywhere they go, and they make new believers, they stop and they make churches too. And as they move on from those places, those cities, they don't forget about these new churches and these new believers there. They don't abandon them and leave them on their own. Instead, what the disciples do is they sit down and they write letters to these churches, teaching them everything that Jesus had commanded them. But what's the big deal? Why have we spent all of our time together today talking about bad chili recipes and buttons coming off of sports coats and these so-now-what moments? Well, right now at Melbourne Heights, we are living through one of these so-now-what moments. We have found ourselves in circumstances and situations that we are at least a little bit unprepared for. April 4th, just two weeks ago, was the first time in more than a year that we were able to offer an in-person worship service here at Melbourne Heights. And it had been more than a year since the last time we were able to worship together in person because we had been living through a pandemic. And just because we're back to offering an in-person worship service now, that doesn't mean that this pandemic is over. The truth of the matter is that even after 70 to 85% of our population is vaccinated and we reach what epidemiologists call herd immunity, it's still going to be a long time before we can completely put the COVID-19 pandemic behind us. So that means that right now we are all wondering, so now what does this mean for our church? And you know what? I wish I could stand up here today and tell you exactly what the future holds for our church as we continue to live through this pandemic. And I wish that I could stand up here today and tell you exactly what the future holds for our church whenever we can finally put the COVID-19 pandemic behind us. But I can't. I can't tell you what the future holds for our church as we continue to live through this pandemic. I can't tell you what the future holds for our church whenever we're able to put this pandemic behind us. I can't tell you what the future holds for any of us because I just don't know. And nobody else knows either. Nobody can tell you what's next, what the future holds for you, for our church, for anyone else as we continue to live through this pandemic and we're able to put it behind us. So that leaves all of us wondering, so now what? So now what? What do we do next as a church? What are we supposed to do Now, well, that's what we're talking about right now during the sermon series. We're talking about what we need to do next as a church as we think about what happens as we continue to live through this pandemic and beyond this pandemic. Right now, we're exploring what God wants for our church and from our church as we enter into our new normal. And the good news is... We don't have to answer these questions on our own because just like Mama Hogan was there to help her son Chris out when he couldn't make a pot of chili, and just like my mom was there to help me figure out what to do when my jacket lost a button, God is there to help us figure out what we need to do next. So as we think about our so-now-what moment that we're living in right now, God wants us to hear the exact same thing that Jesus told his first disciples as he ascended into the heavens. God wants us to hear that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything that Jesus has commanded us. As we think about our new normal, that's one of the things we need to be focused on. Because here's the truth. Church isn't about whether or not we're able to have an in-person service or if we worship together online. And church isn't about how many programs we can offer or how many programs we have to cut back on. The church exists to make disciples. We exist to make disciples. Amen? It's what we're here for. We are here to make disciples. And that is never going to change. So as we think about what our priorities need to be as a church, as we enter into our new normal, making disciples has to be one of those top priorities for us. But that doesn't mean that we're going to be able to do this the same way that we've always gone about trying to make disciples in the past. We can't focus on doing everything the way that we did before the pandemic began. Because we have seen over the course of the last year plus that God is opening up new avenues for us to make disciples in brand new ways. So we need to be willing to think about what it looks like to make disciples when we're together in person. And we need to be able to think about what it means for us to make disciples when we are doing our activities online. And we need to think about what it means for us to make disciples when we're using our Facebook page and our YouTube channel and our church website and even our Zoom account to hold all of these gatherings and meetings and opportunities for people to grow closer to God. Because like I told you last week, God is giving our church an incredible opportunity right now. God is giving our church the chance to rebuild, to relaunch. But if we're going to do this the way that God wants us to, we have to focus in on the right priorities at the beginning. God created his church, our church to make disciples. That's who we've always been. That's who we will always need to be. But we have to be committed to do it. No matter what that may look like for us, we need to be committed to be who God made us to be, to be a church that helps people grow closer to him. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this time of prayer, we are just thankful for the stories that we've heard today. God, we have all lived through some of these so-now-what moments in our lives. and That's what we're facing right now is church. As we slowly start resuming in-person services and hopefully before too much longer some additional activities, we all want to know so-now-what. What's happening next in our church and for our church? But God, before we start rushing off to try to make things exactly like they've always been, help us to remember that we need to slow down, that we need to take our time to think about what you want for us and what you want from us. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just wanna thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that today's episode has reminded you that God is always with you no matter what. So when you face these so-now-what moments in your life, God's there to help you make it through. And for us as a church, we need to realize that even as we stand on the cusp of our new normal, that God already has a plan and a purpose for us. And God wants us to go and to make disciples. So that's exactly what we need to be doing. Now, in our next episode, we're going to continue to talk about what God wants for us and from us as we enter into our new normal, so we hope that you'll come back and join us when our next episode drops next Tuesday morning. If you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And while you're in that podcasting app, let me encourage you to leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews mean a lot, and they can help spread the word of this podcast to other people. And don't forget that you can also join us any Sunday morning and every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Eastern time as we worship live together on our church website at mhbclouisville.com slash live well until the next time i hope that you guys have a great week i'll be praying for you and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast